Welcome back to another episode of Divorce Force Podcast. My name is Adam. I hope everybody is staying safe out there, especially during this time of social distancing as states continue to open up. So I'm excited to welcome in my guest today. His name is Aaron Baines, graduate of Stevens University, and he's an admission counselor for to you. How are you doing today, Aaron? I'm good. I'm good, Adam. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Go Stangs. Go Stangs. Yeah, right. Uh, definitely, definitely. Um, so I know I just wanted to get you on uh, my podcast. Just talk about, you know, your story and, you know, you know, catch up and, and things like that. So you were uh, you came into Stevenson in 2017. And when you, you know, came to Stevenson, you actually transferred from University of Maryland Eastern Shore. So tell me, you know, what you liked about starting out at, you know, University of Maryland Eastern Shore and what really was that differentiator to to come to Stevenson? Um, so originally, so I'll kind of tell you my backstory. So yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm originally from the Eastern Shore. Um, I grew up there. Um, my family moved there after my dad uh, retired from the Army. Uh, in 1999, uh, so I was about two years old when they when we decided to move here uh, to Maryland. So UMS has always been a, an integral part of my life in a sense. Um, I my mom one of her first jobs when we first moved here was at UMS. She worked at a uh, daycare center there. Um, she was basically in charge of some some kids um, running uh, the daycare, and I happened to end up you know going there and meeting you know two of my lifelong friends there. But, you know, over the course of, you know, my life, my mom has had 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 a couple of different jobs there. Um, and so I, it always had been an integral part of my life and my sister's life as well. Um, so when it was time for me to look for schools, I mean, honestly, I, I honestly didn't want to go to UMES, but just because it's <laughs> too close to home. Um, yeah, <laughs> it was I, I literally. So, um, like I said, I'm, I'm from the Eastern Shore. So my high school, Washington High School, um, go Jaguars. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, they were, um, so my high school was about five minutes away from, um, the UMES campus. Um, so I was always there, um, uh, more than, you know, almost, almost every week. Um, just because my mom did work there. She had, you know, she worked as, like I said, a daycare, um, she worked in daycare and then she moved to, um, working in the math computer science department. Um, she was a professor for a while. Um, she even worked in athletics, um, for some quite some time, which kind of built my my love for sports and wanting to work in the sports industry. Um, so um, when it was time for me to look for a school, you know, I didn't really want to go to UMES because, you know, part of me, you know, knew a little bit about UMES. And, you know, I, I knew that, you know, it's a, it's a great school, but I knew that if I was going to grow, I needed to be away from home. Because um, most of the students weren't that went there were from across the bridge. Um, most of the students weren't necessarily, I mean, there are some locals, um, of course, you know, being, you know, having that, that option of maybe moving and, and going across the bridge to go to school or having just, you know, being able to stay home is always something, a good choice to have. So, um, but I decided, you know, I wanted to go to a different school and I chose, uh, I believe I chose Delaware State um, originally. And um, something about the, the campus I loved at one point. And then I remember I went to a uh, orientation for accepting students and I had already signed my intent to enroll in classes um, but uh, I ended up going and staying for a night it happened between you know the the day 
in that first day and the second day, and I just realized it wasn't the place for me. So I remember um, it was July of 2015. I had graduated from high school, <laughs> and I was already, you know, planning to go to Delaware State, but um, something happened, and I was like, Dad, this, this isn't for me. My dad came to get me um, from the campus, and I told him, you know, I don't think I'm going to go here. And he was like, that's totally fine. I mean, you know, he, you know, he sat me down. He told me, you know, it's, it's not, you know, it's not uncommon for some, for, you know, people your age, you're 18 years old, you don't know what you want to do with your life. It's okay. Um, so I remember going home and I didn't really know what I was going to do, but I remember he came back a couple of weeks later and he, you know, he knew people, of course, my family, we know people, um, we had you know some good connections at the school at UMES <laughs> and he ended up, you know, I actually had a family member that was working there in admissions and she ended up, uh, allowing me to be able to get in to classes. You know, I squeezed right in right before um, classes began. And I remember rest different classes. And in August of 2015, I was a student there. Um, so, you know, my two years there, I, I enjoyed it. I will say I, it made me think about what I wanted to do. Um, I met some great people there. Um, you know, but something I always kind of knew in the back of my mind, I was never going to stay there for all four years. I tried to give it a shot, but um, something just in the back of my mind said that if I don't leave the environment I'm in, I will never grow and I will never mature into the person I need to be. Um, so I realized I needed to, you know, move on. And so I ended up looking for schools. And um, Stevenson, I knew a friend of mine from high school. He had gone to Stevenson, but he you know, he didn't stay the entire time. Um, he ended up coming back after his freshman or sophomore year. Um, but he said it was a nice campus. So I checked, fell in love with the campus the moment I stepped on there for a visit. And I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll go here. Um, I got accepted to every school that I had actually applied to, to transfer, possibly transfer to. And Stevenson happened to be one of them. Um, and something about the campus, um, I was, that was the only campus I actually visited. And I knew that that was the place I was going to go after I visited there. Um, and, but I think, um, the difference, of course, I'll say this. So UMES is the HBCU, historically black, um, college and, so it's a, you know, historically black college, um, mm -hmm. or, and university. So the, um, I always say this about HBCUs, they, they kind of bring some pride to the African-American community because, you know, one thing that I learned about HBCUs, they gave an opportunity to students of color who did not have the opportunity to go, who may not have had the opportunity to go to a, you know, predominantly white institution. And so that pride of having that option for me and for all students of color to have that option to go to HBCU is always, you know, something, a great thing to have. Um, but for me, you know, I always knew that there were bigger, you know, bigger, bigger and better things for me. And, you know, HBCU, I'll never, I'll never, you know, discredit them. They made me um, H UMES made me uh, as a part of me. I'd always be a part of me. Um, but Stevenson also be a part of me as well. Um, but I always knew that if I was going to be successful, I had to move out of my environment. And I will say, you know, the big difference is, you know, you feel the pride of the campus when you step onto UMES. You know, when people come back for homecoming, they, you know, they relish that opportunity to come back and be a part of, you know, uh, what they, what the four years that they were there for, you know, uh, you know, some big name, there were some big name people that went there, you know, some athletes, some, you know, famous people, but, you know, I'll say this about Stevenson. Stevenson is kind of like, you know, it was tight knit, close community, something mm -hmm. that I honestly relish as well. Um, same thing with UMES. It was tight knit community. It's a small school. I like small schools. I don't, you know, I don't feel like being at a big institution was something <laughs> that I enjoyed 
um, you know, my sister went to Towson for all four years. So it was kind of a big campus and I, I applied there as well, but I realized I didn't want to go there. Um, but being at Stevenson, it's this, you know, the biggest thing is, you know, I'll say this, you know, the, you know, you kind of go to a different school. When you move to a different school, you kind of want to have make the best of your opportunities. And so for me, I just knew that the opportunities that I had at Stevenson, I may not have gotten if I went to UMES, not because of it being HBCU, but because me being from the area and not having the access to, you know, be to go across the bridge and, you know, have all those opportunities. I didn't think I was going to have those. So um, I won't say the the school, you know, made me or anything like that, but I would say being across the bridge and having to rely on my on myself and not always call my parents, um, having them as, you know, as a as a safety blanket kind of matured me. I don't think, uh, yeah. you know, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love that the independence is something that a lot of students, you know, look for, especially when they're looking for colleges. And I, I want to touch base because now, you know, graduate uh, 2019 and I was uh, right there, 2018. So, um, you know, newly adapted to the life after college. And you're actually an admission counselor yourself right. at 2U. Um, how did the opportunity come about and what is, I was doing some research, but tell me what that experience is like um, with this opportunity. Yeah. So um, I actually applied to you, um, I believe uh, the summer of 2018. Um, I think 20, actually it was 2019. So the 2018, 2019 year I was applying for internships and I actually applied to you and I didn't get in. Um, I ended up getting an internship with uh, Laureate, Laureate Education centered in Baltimore, um, Harbor East, Baltimore. Um, and I will say that that was the best, you know, some of the best, you know, three months of my life being there, <laughs> learning. Um, I was a talent acquisition intern. So I learned the ins and outs of um, recruiting, um, the recruiting cycle, you know, documents that people need. Um <laughs> You know, so all the things that I that I learned from, you know, that from that internship kind of helped me, you know, being an admissions counselor, you know, HR, some aspect of HR is recruiting. Um, so um, I will say it kind of set me up for for this opportunity. So when I was looking for for uh, jobs, I honestly wasn't looking too, too actively. I was just, you know, checking to see if I had some, you know, some opportunities um, at mm-hmm. hand. And so I applied and they ended up you know, sending me a link to a video interview. Um, and so after the video interview, I thought I did very well. They ended up giving me a phone interview. Um, I didn't think the phone interview went very, went very well um, on my <laughs> part, but something, you know, I'll say, you know, I'll say, God, you know, God looked out for me <laughs> and, and, and mm-hmm. blessing me with another opportunity. And I ended up getting an actual in-person interview. I'm guessing my maybe my 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 video interview and my my resume kind of spoke for itself, and um, I ended up going there for an in-person interview. And a couple of weeks later, I ended up getting the job. Um, and so, kind of going back, I just want to make sure that you know what was the the next question you asked. I just want to make sure. Yeah, yeah. So I just want to walk like walk me through what Chuyu does uh, because I know they're in the education space right. and kind of leading the edge of that next tier level. I mean, 2U has a lot of clients, uh, specifically Harvard, Yale, and they're kind of leading the edge of graduate programs online. Uh, so walk me through what you've learned uh, since your time at 2U and, and you know, how they're changing the game on online education. Yeah, so 
Um, that was one thing that kind of drew me to uh, applying for the for that you know for the for the company for applying for that that position I was in. Um, it's just that you know they have a slogan of no back row. You know, no student is in the <laughs> back row. You're you know you're front and center with your professors and your classmates. Nobody feels like they can't speak up. Um, and so that that opportunity and that that slogan kind of drew me to applying to the to that company. And I will say this, you know, I've gotten a lot of questions about, you know, online education. And do you think it's, you know, <laughs> it's, it's going to be the future? And I will say, you know, what to you is doing um, the the way that, you know, this world is moving. Um, you know, the world evolves every single day. Um, I've said this to students that I've talked to who may have doubts about online education. The world evolves every day. And whether we like it or not, the world is going to move forward with or without us. Um, so with education, you know, we're a lot of people are used to the in-person face-to-face interaction. But for, you know, with where we are now, that may not always be possible. And so having that online education, you know, that online aspect, you know, it's for us, for to you, it's not the, you know, the um the quintessential online program where you're you're in an online class you have you know you, the work you do you never see your professor mm-hmm. it's it's not nothing like <laughs> that you know you actually will be in live virtual classes with these professors with your classmates you actually see them you may not be able to physically touch them but you'll see them weekly on a weekly basis um and it makes you feel like you know you actually will still have that interaction with people that network that you want to build. Um, and I think what they're doing is, is phenomenal. And I, you know, I can't be, you know, more, I, and I'm more than happy to, to be a part of their, their company and, and what they're doing. And I hope to be here for, for quite some time. <laughs> yeah, that that's awesome. And I'm definitely a proponent of online education. I mean, I've taken online courses that you mentioned. I mean, most, I, I was taking online classes at community college and of course, you know, the standard online, usually it's, you know, all what I liked about online classes was all the work. I mean, all the work is there for right. you, and then you're able to do the work. But what's unique about to you is they're putting money and you know back. You know, they're putting money on the all of these long term contracts to provide a, a additional software to these top tier colleges, and it's really phenomenal to see you know, what they're able to do and the power, because it's almost like, okay, it's not just the university doing an online class. It's, it's almost, you know, two years providing additional resources for these top tier universities. And, you know, talk to me about how, or if you're familiar with how, you know, how that partnership works and how, how does two, like, do they seek out a university or how does the partnership work? Like if I was university A, how would I go seek out a partnership with two years? Yeah, so that's something I'm still learning. You know, I've, I've been here. I've been here for yeah. uh, going on five months. So I started here in January, um, which is great. You know, some some students don't have that opportunity, you know, to, you know, graduate from college and then, you know, immediately go into, you know, a job. I know right now with, you know, I know right <laughs> now with, you know, the class of 2020, some people don't have that opportunity, you know, with everything being slowed down. <laughs> um, but I will say that you know, opportunities will open back up and they will be back on their feet. So, um, but uh, going back to, um, you know, the partnerships, I know um, recently there was another school, I believe um, Simmons University, they just actually um, partnered with them 
Um, and there was an, I, I can't name, I'm not sure the exact, you know, all of the exact uh, universities, but mm-hmm. I know how it works. You know, I'm not sure exactly how it works. I'm still learning, you know, how the partnerships work with those, the, with uh, 2U and the universities. You know, I'm not sure if they seek out us or they, or we seek them out. Um, but I know that they know of us. They know that we have partnerships with the biggest universities, the biggest names in higher education. So, you know, I, I mean, I, I'm not sure if they would seek. I mean, I think it would be something if they seek to seek us out. Um, but there are certain programs that, you know, of course, you know, if there's a popular program that they want to put, probably put, um, put to you on, we will take those programs and, and, you know, uh, use, use them through our, through our, through our company. Um, you know, whether it's be social work, education, right now it's just graduate programs. Um, I'm, I know that, you know, we do boot camps as well. Um, some short courses, um, things like that. So like I said, I'm still learning, still learning about that. I'm still, like I said, hopefully I'll be here long enough to actually know every aspect of the business. Um, yeah, of course. But, <laughs> but right now, like I said, I'm not too certain. I know that, you know, when I see things on online, I see that, you know, it's two you and another university decide to partner together for, you know, a certain program that they want to, you know, work together on to help reach some students that may not have that opportunity. So. And being an admissions counselor, I'm sure it's uh, similar, but definitely different than, say, being a mission counselor at, at right. Stevenson, right? Um, how, how is, what does your day-to-day look like, and what are some differences from your role than necessarily uh, an admissions counselor at Stevenson or the college itself? Yeah, so um, as far as what I do in my day-to-day, so... Um, I work from about nine to five thirty uh, on a regular day. Sometimes it's you know a little bit longer. Sometimes it, it, it you know yeah. you know sometimes you know you know you want you want to reach, reach as many people as you can, um, but sometimes it's shorter than that. Uh, Fridays I believe I get off at four. So, um, but really I have a certain amount of people. Um, I have it's a metrics based system. So there's a certain amount of people I have to dial. A certain amount of talk time that I need to hit. Um, but there's a certain, but at the end of the day, there's a certain amount of people that I need to have registered for classes, um, for the program that I'm on. Um, so, um, how it works is, you know, I call these people, usually the people have requested information or they started an application with us. So it's not like I'm actually actively going out to seek them. They've already requested information. Okay. So once they hit, so our marketing team does a great job of putting out ads on, every aspect of social media platforms, whether it be LinkedIn or Instagram or uh, Twitter, all those things, you know, if, if a student was to see it and say, Hey, you know, maybe I want to go back and get my MBA. Um, we, you know, once they request that information, I reach out to them. Uh, I just kind of gauge their interest. Some people are, I will say some people really just saw the ad and just decided to click it. Other people, they actually are really interested. And I try to, you know, see where they are in, in their in their careers or in their lives and how, you know, much time. And, you know, of course, they're going to invest some money into this, but how much time they're willing to invest into really achieving their goal of, of pursuing this degree so it can make their lives better. That's really the biggest thing. You know, they're, people are looking, looking to seek these programs and looking to seek these degree programs, not just to have – some people, it's just a personal goal. But what I'm finding is a lot of students are actually doing this as a way to, of course, keep up with, you know, the times, you know, like I said, the world evolves every day. 
And so they want to be able to continue to equip to have, you know, skills they can be equipped with and knowledge and business acumen that they can have to move forward in the business world and their companies or even start their own companies. Um, so that's a little bit about my day to day. Um, as far as the difference between that and an actually admissions counselor from, let's say, Stevenson, honestly, to be honest with you, I didn't really know too much about admissions um, and what it does. I would see, you know, there I had friends in admissions that worked in admissions. They were, you know, student ambassadors. They showed you, showed everybody around the mm -hmm. campus. Um, but as far as, you know, admissions <laughs> counselors, I know that, you know, they would answer the phones, but I wasn't sure exactly what they did. Um, but um, I don't think that, you know, that was a big, big issue for me. Um, it's always about learning. And I realized, you know, it's not, no, it's not too bad of a job. You know, I actually enjoy what I do. I enjoy reaching people and helping them through this process and honestly helping them reach their goals. So, um, but yeah. Exactly. And I love that. And, you know, you graduated with a business, you know, business admin degree right. uh, like myself. And that's a really broad degree. So what drew you, obviously you have some family ties with admissions right. and HR, but what drew you not only that, but, what was, you know, what was also, what were some other factors that said, hey, you know, I don't want to do, you know, other aspects of business administration. I want to, I want to do HR and I want to do maybe admissions and help people that way. What was other, what were some factors in that? that well, um, with that, I'll say this. I mean, I kind of always knew that I'd be in a, I always figured that I'd be, you know, a major in business. You know, I, I always thought about myself in a, you know, a suit, a suit and tie and a, and a briefcase. But um, when I, and I, as, you know, as I was getting older and transitioning through high school and possibly thinking about college, I realized that, you know, I didn't really want to do something that was more so something I didn't think was going to be mean anything. You know, I'm not saying that accounting, you know, or financial fields, they don't do anything that doesn't mean something to somebody else or doesn't hold any significance. But I felt like there was something greater for me out there besides those fields. Um, marketing, I thought I wanted to do marketing. Um, I took business classes in high school um, and marketing was something that <laughs> I, I was drawn to. I was also good at, you know, accounting as well, but it was a little boring for me, <laughs> to be honest. Better, better, you, better you than me. I was <laughs> yeah, not good at accounting. I, I struggled. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Stevenson. I won't say I struggled. <laughs> I mean, for me, all the things I learned, yeah. um, all the things I learned in the the accounting courses in high school, I tried to take with me to to college. Um, so I took all of the accounting courses at UMS, um, and so I had some great uh, professors. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I just knew I didn't want to do an accounting. I didn't want to do finance. Um, I thought I wanted to be a financial advisor because I wanted to help people with money. I realized this, you know people are some people have bad money issues. Um, but I realized that's not <laughs> what I wanted to do either. So, um, marketing wasn't it. And so when I got to Stevenson, I knew that I wanted to work in sports. Um, I had a passion for sports and I thought there was something out there for me to kind of help, you know, athletes, um, not necessarily in the business aspect of, you know, sports, but, um, helping them be, um, helping them transition to the next aspect of their lives after sports. Um, you know, working with in the athletic office, yeah, working in the athletic department, you know, I, I saw every aspect of, you know, of athletics. And then with my mother, my mother worked with student athletes. Um, so she basically worked with them with their grades, um, 
you know, making sure they were on top of everything. And they, you know, they didn't necessarily um, kind of think about life after, after college, life after sports, because most, some of the athletes at UMS, even though it was a D1 school, not everybody was going to actually make it to the pros. Um, so kind of think about, you know, that aspect mm-hmm. of, you know, helping them do their, the next chapter. Um, but when I got to Stevenson, I was thinking about, okay, do I still want to do, you know, work in the business office at, in, in athletics? And I thought about, well, there's something else I may want to do. Um, so I, I ended up getting a minor in psychology because I kind of thought about, you know, I, I kind of like the way people think. I, I like thinking about how people make decisions, why they make those decisions, you know, what mm-hmm. causes them to, you know, want to do something or what goes through their mind process, you know, when they're making decisions. So, um, blending, you know, my business degree, my psychology minor, of course, one of the things I started doing was searching up careers, um, in marketing and HR was one. So I knew marketing was going to do it for me. So I decided to do HR. Um, but, um, as we're taking the, you know, that internship last summer with, with Laureate, you know, like I said, I, I, really wanted to continue to go into HR, but, you know, as I started transitioning into thinking of jobs I wanted to, I wanted to pursue, couldn't find a job in that field. So I ended up, you know, taking this job. I mean, it, like I said, it, it kind of goes into what I did during the summer, during last summer with, you know, reviewing documents, making sure that, you know, students are, you know, on top of what they need to be on top of. Um, Except that it was employees I was making sure that they had all the documents that they needed to hire someone else. Um, but it kind of has, you know, kind of ties into what I was doing. Um, but then I realized, you know, like I said, I may transition into something else. Maybe, you know, maybe what I'm doing right now may be a stepping stone for a different path that I may have never thought I would, you know, be on. So um, I always say, you know, I tell this to a lot of students, what we major in in college for four years may not be exactly what we do you know, 10 years down the road, you know, I have a, a business degree. It's very, fairly broad. As you said, it's fairly broad. You can go anywhere you want with a business degree. And I think what some people don't realize, and a lot of people always tell me, you know, nowadays business people with business admin degrees don't go anywhere. And I say to them in response, it's not necessarily the degree itself. It's just learning and knowing what you want to do. It's not per se the business degree and saying, I have this degree. I don't know what I want to, or I don't, I'm not going to get anything with this degree. It's saying to yourself, I have this degree. What am I going to do with it? So, you know, for me, I can go anywhere I want with this degree. I just have to know exactly what I want to do. I'm beginning to learn that now being with being in the current position that I am. Um, so I'll say, you know, I'm still learning. Uh, not too certain on where, I, where that, what path I'm trying to go into yet. Um, like I said, HR is still a possibility, but I know the sports is always going to be the back of my mind. And I'm, I may want to go into that field, uh, whether it be professionally or, or collegially. Um, I always feel that there's a need um, in those fields, especially now with, you know, what's going on in the sports world, um, how everything's being affected. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I, I love that. I think um, especially now, um, you talk about your internship with uh, um, the HR management uh, with Laureate. Talk to me what you learned, you know, during that time and, and, you know, how should students handle this time? Because I know a lot of internships are being canceled. You know, some companies are pushing the envelope and having their students or having students do their internship virtually. But, you know, for recent grads or students who aren't sure where to go next with their internship search, you know, 
what what would you tell them? What I'd say, you know, start early. Um, continue to apply. Um, one thing I, I did um, when I wasn't getting internships, um, when I was completely con- continuously getting denied, and when things aren't going my way, I continue to apply for internships, even when I was continuously getting no's um, and getting, you know, my applications declined. I continue to apply. <laughs> uh, I remember, you know, the the year actually, um, the school year, I think it was my senior, I think it was my junior junior year that I got uh, the internship for the summer for Laureate. Um, I applied to at least, um, I made sure I applied to at least 10, 10 internships a day or 10, 10, <laughs> 10 internships a week, actually, per se, um, because I really mm. wanted to have something, you know, and really, you know, internships help you understand what you really want to do. Um, it kind of gives you that, that stepping stone mm-hmm. to in the path you were looking to go. And I'll say this, you know, it was great being able to work for Laureate. Um, they not only, I they only, they not only have a great HR uh, department, um, they also work in the education field as well. So being able to be in that field and kind of, you know, learn a little bit about the education aspect of, of, you know, things and being with to you now, I, I feel comfortable where I am. Um, and I feel that, you know, the education field is somewhere I may need to be, um, whether it be in higher ed or just education in general. Um, but to students out there, like I said, you know, continue, continue to apply. Um, opportunities will open up. You know, this, this, what's going on in this world right now is just, it's just a phase. Um, the world will be back to normal. Honestly, I always say there, there will be a new normal. You know, when things change, never everything does not go back to the way it was. Um, but there will be a time where opportunities will open back up for you. But don't be stagnant during this time. Um, definitely continue to apply um, to to opportunities that you may feel that are still out there for you. Um, it and it will come to you. Um, just continue to persist, and and you will get there. Yeah, I love that, uh, having that persistency and um, always important to have that. And especially now, I mean, uh, we've been in this pandemic a while and the situation with uh, George Floyd, um, really something that hit the nail on the head. I mean, the NFL came back and said that they were wrong about the kneeling situation. And I would be doing a disservice if we didn't talk about this, where do you see that we can improve within the U.S. of of the police brutality on the black community? And where does that start? And how can, where can people just who aren't in the police department, how can we, you know, do a better job to make sure that doesn't happen? You know, I honestly, before I got, before I got on here, I was thinking about that. I was thinking about, you know, uh, if we were going to talk about that, honestly, and for me, um, I'll say this, you know, our world was built on, you know, our, our country, you know, we always used to say, you know, we pledge allegiance to the flag, you know, and then it would say one nation for all, uh, under all, indivisible, um, for liberty and justice, for liberty and justice for all, something around that, you know, and I realize now I understand mm-hmm. why people, you know, why Kaepernick, Colin Kaepernick kneeled. There is no justice and liberty for everybody. You know, people say when we say black lives matter and other people say all lives matter, there has to be there is some some disconnect. We're not saying that 
our our black lives are the only ones that matter. What we're saying is all lives cannot matter until black lives matter as well. This is supposed to be the land, the home of the brave, land of the free, but not everybody is free. You know, my ancestors, they didn't come over here on their free will. They were brought over here on ships. They didn't, they had to, they were captured and taken from their land and brought here under their own free will. Some people left, some people committed suicide, basically. They jumped off the ships to their death because they rather would have freedom than bondage. And so, and so with us, you know, with what we can do better, you know, I know that the Drew Brees thing, um, it, of all people, of all the athletes, you know, that I would have never <laughs> thought, you know, I would have thought would have been on our side and would not have said anything, you know, divisive as he said. I, it surprised me because Drew Brees, everybody looks at Drew Brees as, you know, uh, this you know, remarkable man. He's not just an athlete. He's more than an athlete. He stands. You know, when you think about New Orleans and the New Orleans Saints, you think about Drew Brees now. Um, and for him to say what he said, it showed that he was misinformed and not educated enough on the issue. You know, when people go back to Kaepernick, it was not about him kneeling and disrespecting the flag. It was about him saying that there is no justice for people in this world that are of color. And I can't stand for that if, you know, I can't, I can't stand for that, basically. You know, we are continuously brought down by police brutality. You know, you think about Sean Bell, you know, Michael Brown, Trayvon Brown, uh, Breonna Taylor, uh, George, George Floyd, of course. Um, you know, the list goes on. You think about all these people and it's, you know, in this world, you know, I think a lot about where our world, where our country, you know, where we are now and what it was 50 years ago. You know, when you think about, you know, what <laughs> people march for, what people die for, people sacrifice their life for, they did not hope that this would be the world that their children and their children's children would have to be living in. You know, when Martin Luther King had his dream, you know, had his dream, I have a dream speech. He did not, I, I know he did not envision this is what the world would look like, you know, 50 years after his death. You know, he did not die for us to have this, you know, to have this happen, you know. And I'll say this about police brutality. Um, it's, it's sad that we are looked at, that our, the color of our skin is looked at as a weapon. I had a friend tell me that it's, it's our, our blackness is a weapon and it's sad. You know, the thing about it is we are more afraid of police than police of are of us. And it feels like, you know, they have that, you know, that notion that they are, are going to be attacked by us because they feel like once we roll down our windows, we have a weapon on us and we don't have the time. Some people do. I know the Philando Castillo thing. He had a license to carry that weapon. Um, and he happened to be, you know, shot. Um, but I'll say this, you know, the the way that the world is with the police, um, you know, their job is to protect and serve, but they aren't protecting the people of this nation mm -hmm. and serving us or doing a good job of serving us if they're killing the people that they're supposed to protect. Um, you know, so for me, you know, with everything that's going on, I know that we had our primary elections um, and everything as well. Um, what people can do, of course, you know, I don't want, you know, my 
white counterparts to feel that they can't speak up or they can't do anything, but at least be informed. I always say if you don't know anything or it's, it's this is a common sense thing, you know, if you don't know what you're talking about, don't say anything at all. You know, that's just me. You know, don't speak up. You know, <laughs> I'm a quiet guy myself. If I don't know something, I don't try to speak, you know, on an issue. And that's the same thing for, you know, Drew Brees. You know, if he didn't really know, I understand he was asked a question, but don't speak on an issue if you don't know what you're talking about. And you can see the backlash. Now he's had to apologize. And his re- reputation and, his, and how people look at him is different now, an African-American from the African-American community. Um, but, you know, hopefully, you know, we have some legislation and things change. Um, but I'll say this, you know, for the people that are, you know, for local officials, you know, people in Congress, even the president of the United States, you know, whoever and whoever is going to be elected or, you know, whoever is going to be elected for a president in the near future, we're not, we're not voting for you because you make promises. We are voting for you because we want you to act. You know, you can make all these promises as a congressman and make all these promises Mm -hmm. to us, but we need action, you know. We don't need your promises made to us anymore. We need you to act. Um, you know, when you think about the presidents that have done things that move the needle, you know, uh, you have the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and 65, the Fair Housing Act. You know, of course, Lincoln, you know, and him freeing the slaves, the Emancipation Proclamation, you know, and all these things, you know, for the betterment, not only of, you know, African-Americans, but for the betterment of the, of the country and of the world, you know, we need people to do what they said they're going to do. Um, but there are ways you can, you know, people can definitely still, you know, uh, act and, and help. Um, of course, you can always donate to the causes, um, sign petitions, um, even, you know, a lot of people don't want to go protest. So, you know, it's always another way to, to do it. But, um, that's just that's just me, you know. I kind of went on a rant there, but yeah. No, no, I like I like the action part because uh, just to step back and because you know just to step back for a moment, this was the exact thing that Kaepernick was protesting, and it's really interesting. It's really unfortunate that this had to happen. It's unfortunate that you know for. For me, you know, I'm not, I don't really have any affiliation with the police force, but where's the training involved with not having this things, with not having this stuff happen? I mean, where, where does the emphasis, not just on the person or the people that, you know, commit the act, but what about these police forces who, you know, send these, you know, police, the, the police officers out and then they come in it you know where's the onus on them as well to prevent these types of things from occurring? that's a good question so i just want to make sure you that i get the (laughs) that i answer the questions that you asked so repeat repeat them for me real quick that way i can i can Mm -hmm. yeah i just want to know you know just not just of course not just the person who commits the act against you know police brutality but the the police force as well um how can we improve the force and and the leadership within the forces or wherever they are to make sure that these are that these things aren't happening or put like 
Is it education? Is it more training? Where do you see the gaps? Well, I definitely um, would see it in the training. Um, I know that, you know, a lot of, you know, officers are trained to, if you feel in danger, of course, you know, that's how they, I feel like that's how they train. But, you know, I feel like training definitely goes a long way. You shouldn't train your, your, your officers to shoot uh, just off of assumption that someone is going to reach for something that may be a weapon. <laughs> um, for me, um, it's, of course, background checks and really understanding the psyche of a person. You know, you never really know what's going on through someone's head. Um, and, you know, we don't I don't know what um, mm-hmm. was going through that officer's head when he decided to put his knee on top of George Floyd's neck and what was going through the head of the other officers who were sitting there just watching. Um, but I think it goes to a training <laughs> issue um, and understanding that you have to continue to keep your eye on the people that you have um, in your, in your, in your, uh, in your, in your company, in your corporation, I mean, your department. Uh, so it kind of goes a long way. Of course, legislation with us, you know, they want, we want to see, you know, I know that uh, we talked about someone uh, talked about something about having something passed about having uh, officers charged with uh, murder um, instead of having them continuously get off. Um, so, I would say it's a training issue, um, but it's also, like I said, um, racism. I, I had friends tell me racism is a, is a hard issue. It's not a, it's not necessarily, a, a, you know, something that is is always brought out, but it's just something in your heart that people have. Um, so you always have to continue to understand who you're around and who they are as a person. Um, and so I don't know, you know, racism. I always thought that, you know, maybe we'll get to a place where it won't be as bad. You know, I always say things get worse before they get better. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I think it's more so training, just knowing who's in your department. Um, I think about, you know, what the other the other instances, the other uh, murders of, you know, Flando Castillo and Michael Brown and Trayvon Brown, like, you know, and some of these things, they they honestly felt compelled to just pull the weapon and not really, you know, not really, you know, talk or, or give, you know, make, make themselves known. Um, for, for George Floyd, you know, he, you can see in the video, he, he wasn't resisting. There was a report that he resisted the rest. There was no, there was no evidence of, of resisting. So, like I said, it's just a matter of understanding, you know, what was mm-hmm. going through their mind, what they thought was, was really going on. Um, but I just think it's a training issue. Yeah, and what's really confusing is if if they had him, they had him caught. So why not just put him in the car instead of having your knee on top of the person? Like that, just, I don't, I didn't really understand that. And it was really the police brutality as just something that is unfortunate that is happening and it continues to happen. Um, but hopefully there is change. And, you know, for the next, for the future and, and future generations, um, how can we uh, not necessarily eliminate, like you said, but seize the day where racism is not, you know, headline news? I mean, I don't, you know, I think, you know, we're living in 2020 and it, it still occurs. But how can we live in a time in the next 20, 30 years to move the needle at a clip where racism isn't 
Isn't yeah, that's always the, the question, the, 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 you know, the silver, you know, the hundred dollar question, how can we move <laughs> forward from racism? Honestly, um, you know, the thing about it is there are people who are brought up in this world who have a certain notion, you know, about other races. Um, they have their, their, um, their prejudices. And so I'm not sure exactly how we can, you know, how laws can, you know, remove racism from this world. But like I said, it's a hard issue. Um, it's really teaching your children that we should all be looked at as equal. Um, like I said, going back to, you know, uh, the African-American race and, you know, in contrast to, you know, other races, especially, you know, white, our white counterparts, you know, one thing uh, Martin Luther King said, he said once, we can't have a first class nation with second class citizens. We can't have a nation where there are people who feel like they aren't, you know, heard. They aren't felt like they are equal. You know, there was a lot of different laws, separate but equal. You know, Plessy versus Ferguson was the separate but equal. You know, there was there, there's no such thing as, you know, we can be separate from each other but equal. You know, we have to be together in this whole, in this, in this, in this world. We have to be one. Um, and this world will never really work. I'm um, never really be what it really should be if we don't, you know, if we aren't taught, if parents don't teach their children, you know, especially white counterparts, that we all are the same. We all, you know, we may have a different color, but we all should want the same things. We all shouldn't look at each other differently. Um, no one race should feel more in danger than the other. You know, here's the thing, you know, I was reading something and, you know, it talked about wealth and, you know, some people are better off than others. And, you know, it's just one of those things where we have, sometimes we have the shorter end of the stick. Um, but it's just, like I said, treating, understanding that life should not be, you know, okay, this person is different from me, so I'm going to treat him differently than my, you know, the friends that look like me. You know, I was brought up where everybody <laughs> should be treated fairly. Everybody should be treated equally. So if my parents could treat, could, you know, teach me that, why can't, you know, your parents treat you that, teach you that, or why can't, you know, why, I understand, like I said, some parents, some grandparents, they have their, you know, some people's parents and grandparents, they taught them a certain way and they grew up in a certain time where they're just going to, they're never going to change their mind about how they feel about other people. And like I said, that's the hard issue. Sometimes you can't change people who are stuck in their ways, um, but you can change how you see things and you can change how you do things. And so I think it's going to take some time, but I think, you know, in these next couple of you know, years, the next 20 years, maybe 30 years, even 50 years, you know, hopefully we live in a world where people aren't judged by the color of their skin or anything like that. I feel like I'm quoting Dr. King, but I am. Uh, we, where we aren't judged, judged by our skin, but, you know, by the content of our, <laughs> yeah. our character. We aren't judged by who we, you know, what we look like, but who we are on the inside, you know. So that's all I think it will take. Um, just just that. Yeah, that that's huge and, you know, powerful message, I think. You know, I think that's everybody should strive to that. And, you know, especially your background with HR and uh, being an invention counselor, I'm sure you deal with a variety of uh, not just, you know, who are the, the black community, but other backgrounds as well. And I think we all should, you know, I mean, especially now, I mean, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, what background you come from, come from. You know, we all we all want similar things in life. And I think that's something that I learned in one of my it was one of my 
business courses. You know, there, there's a lot of things that make us different. And we want to take that, we want to value those differences. But there's a lot of things that we want that are similar. I mean, we all want to be happy. We all want to be loved. Uh, we won't all want that opportunity. And, you know, some of us don't always have those same opportunities or same chances in life. And that's unfortunate. Uh, but we do have, you know, we do have a lot of similarities and it's right. unfortunate that some and of those I are mean, taken away just based I on I mean, place. it's just, like I said, it just kind of goes back <laughs> to, you know, just being educated and understanding like we're not, we come, we've come a long way, um, but we've, we've got some work to do. We, we, there's still some, <laughs> some hearts, you know, something in our, in our hearts and in our minds that needs to be changed. It's, like I said, I, you know, I, legislation isn't necessarily always going to change how people feel, you know, when people, I know like, you know, when LBJ decided to pass the civil mm-hmm. rights act, you know, it's 1964, 65, there were still people who were still going to treat people the way they felt that they wanted to be treated. You had to follow the law, but that didn't change the way how you felt about somebody. Um, and I think, like I said, it's just going to take some time for us to, for, you know, the, the generations of, of hatred and racism um, from past generations to be wiped away and be, you know, and have come to a world where we don't have that, that issue. Um, so it's just going to take some time. You know, I, I can't, you know, for me, you know, I, a lot of people probably thought that, you know, you know, with, you know, Obama being president, it may have changed some things, you know, and I thought it would too. Um, but, you know, I realized it, it kind of, with everything going on and now with, you know, the current president that we have, you know, I'll never say that a person is a bad person, um, but how he comes off, how he, you know, portrays himself, it feels as though we don't, you know, we are <laughs> invisible to him and he doesn't care much for the African-American community. He once said that he'd done, he's done a lot, you know, for the African-American, you know, for the African-American people. But really, what have what really have you done that's better than Lincoln with better than, you know, him freeing the slaves. Is it over that, you know, is it over you? You think you've done more than Lincoln who freed slaves and signed the emancipation proclamation. You think you've done more than LBJ and the civil rights act of 64 and 65 and the fair housing act. You think you've done more than other presidents who have tried to help, you know, the African-American community, you know, do you think you've done more than even Obama who sound, you know, signed the affordable care act that tried to give health care for every people, everybody who may not have been able to afford it before, mm-hmm. and you're trying to tear that down, and you're trying to go back to Congress and say, I want this to be finished. Mm-hmm. All it's going to do is hurt more people than help. And so for me, like I said, it's, you know, we live in a world right now where people feel more divided than ever because of the person that's in the White House. You know, we, you know, the person at the top has to understand that mm-hmm. people below him were going to be watching, you know, and people feel that there's a certain dignity, you know, that you have to feel, or, you know, he feels that he's better than the law. He's better. He's, you know, he's above everything else. And eventually he will learn that he's not. Um, Now all it's going to take, you know, for me, of course, you know, in my opinion, all it will take is the election. Um, And hopefully, you know, we make that decision that the last four years that we've been under have not been great. Um, He's tried to take credit for a lot of things. He's tried to take credit for you know, the unemployment, you know, now, of course, you know, with mm-hmm. where we are with unemployment, with it being higher than ever because of the pandemic, can he accept that that is, 
you know, a part of his administration, even though it may not have been his actual cause, you know, will he accept that? You know, because honestly, the unemployment rates were low before he was actually elected president. So he can't necessarily take credit for that. Um, but I hope that, you know, we as a people in November decide that, you know, even, you know, with this last primary election and even in, in November that we choose, you know, the right person and understand that these last four years have been have not been what we wanted it to be. And so it's just going to take us having, you know, kind of thinking to ourselves what we want the next four years to be. Um, you know, do you want it to be the last four? Because I'm not going to lie for me. It's been, it's, it's, it's been different than what I, you know, thought, you know, I never would have imagined that we still live in a world where it'd be, you know, more chaos and more, um, you know, more trouble and hurt that, you know, my, my parents and my grandparents had to endure, you know, we're on, it's, it's similar to that level, you know, where, you know, we feel that we are getting, you know, like I said, brutalized and, and taking, having our lives taken from us, um, you know, willingly, you know, like, you know, it's just like, you know, they're doing it willfully, you know, they're just taking our lives from us and it's nothing, you know, I feel like there's nothing we can do about it. So, you know, now people are rising up and it's a matter of, you know, uh, standing up for ourselves and saying enough is enough. Yeah, I, I uh, certainly couldn't agree more. Now, this is just, you know, an opinion-based question. I know it's, it would hard, it would be hard to, you know, kind of put that or put this question um, or like do the directory of the question. But I, <laughs> I have to ask, like, where do you think we would be if? Uh, if Clinton was elected to the presidency? I mean, I know there was a lot of scrutiny with some stuff during the election, but do you feel that we would be in a better place or is that, you know, something that, you know, is kind of unsure, you know, just what, what do you think? Where do I think if, we would have been if, if Clinton you know, was if president? that was the um, case. To be honest, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I do I think it would have, you know, helped with some change. Absolutely. Um, it would have been nice having a woman in presidency, you know, some, as some, you know, following up, you know, with what we, what we mm -hmm. had the first, you know, those previous eight years with an African-American man being in the, in, you know, the white house being in the, the seat of the president now having a woman, you know, what we've been, honestly, we've been avoiding this for quite some time, you know, honestly, it's, it's inevitable. One day we will have a woman as president. Um, mm -hmm. and it will, and I think it will be something that we yeah. need to embrace. Um, I will embrace it. I think we understand that, you know, the world is not the same. You know, we, you know, we can't see women as, um, you know, people that are beneath men. They have worked their way. There are more. And, you know, me, women have endured, you know, some, some of our women have endured more than men have endured. You know, they've had to take more from us and endure a lot of hardship um, and feeling like they aren't uh, worthy enough to be, even in our presence, and they get passed over. Um, and I think now we're at this point, where we have to embrace that. Eventually, you know, like I said, and this might be a controversial uh, comment, but, you know, just as well as we may have a woman as president, there may be, we eventually we will have, you know, a gay man as a president. You know, Pete Boutonnet, you know, in my opinion, was a great candidate. Um, you know, if you look past, you know, if you look past his, you know, yeah, Pud I, oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah. I probably I probably butchered his last name. Yeah, Pete Buttigieg. 
yeah, yeah but, I, I didn't. You know, I, yeah, he's, I think there would be a world a time and myself. place where that will great. happen. You know, we may have him. We may have a you know a gay president. We may have, you know, um, a Latino president. A you know, you know, there, there's we I, we live in a world now where there's anything is possible, and everybody can have a chance, an equal chance to be, you know, the president of the United States. I think that showed. I think that showed us. I think you know the 2008 election showed us that anybody mm-hmm. can be president no matter where you come from. I think, you know, the same thing with, 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 you know, even the last election, you know, Trump was never, he is not a congressman. He is not, he doesn't have any politics, you know, never, he never was in politics. He doesn't have any political background, but we mm-hmm. chose him because he fired, you know, he, people chose him. I'm not going to say we, um, I didn't vote for him, but um, sorry about that, but I won't say we because I did not vote for him. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, people voted for him because he he made he riled up so. you know a lot of crowds that felt like they weren't being that they were being passed over that they felt like they weren't being you know taken care of. Um, and for me, I mean, I don't think they still are being taken care of, but you know who knows. But I think you know as far as these last four years, I do think it would have been a little bit different um, with Hillary in the presidency. Um, I think there would be, you know, I think we wouldn't be looking at, um, I think we wouldn't be necessarily looking at what's going on in the world. Um, I don't think that we would have been still possibly dealing with this. It may be still been an issue, um, but with police brutality and with what's happening now and what's happened with, you know, people in, in uh, Charleston, South Carolina with, you know, people dying there and the comments that you know the president has made he's never backed down or even said that he doesn't support you know racist views i mean you know the ku klux klan was actually supporting him and he never really stepped down he never really necessarily backed you know backed down from saying that he wasn't necessarily supporting those views you know and so for me um i think his the way he comes off, the way he talks, it does something for people. And people feel like they have a certain dignity and a certain, they walk with a certain, you know, they go about their lives in a certain way that they feel like they, they need to be, you know, that they have power over someone else. Um, and him, you know, for some people, it makes them feel like, you know, he's this person that doesn't really care about what other people think. And that's cool. And, that's, and that's, that's a good thing that, you know, to have, you know, you shouldn't care about what other people think, but you should understand that you're the leader of, leader of a nation what's supposed to be the most powerful nation um, and you're tearing it apart <laughs> by your views and by what you say each and every day. And if you think that, you know, the things that you've said have, you know, made a difference positively, then you're wrong. You know, I know that, you know, he said he actually commented, I saw he commented on Drew Brees, um, you know, that he, you know, after Drew Brees apologized, he said he didn't need to apologize. He didn't need to apologize. You have to understand it was the wrong, the wrong thing to say, um, and for him to say, you know, you're not wrong. It goes then. It goes back <laughs> to show how he feels about this issue um, and what's going on. He does not care, um, in my opinion. He doesn't care about certain people. He doesn't care about the African American, you know, community. In my opinion, I don't think he does. Um, but I do think, you know, if we had Hillary in, I think it would have been a little bit different. Um, and so hopefully this year, um, like I said, for me with politics, um, I used to want to work in politics, but seeing the diff- seeing the, 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 
the business of politics and how, <laughs> like I said, people make promises but don't really, you know, come through on those promises instead of, you know, with acting on those promises that they make. Um, I realize a lot of a lot of people do that. And I understand she had the leaked email issue, um, that that whole um, scandal, and it kind of did it. It kind of did something to her reputation, but. Um, I do think it would have been a lot better than than what we experienced. Um, I won't say a lot better, but it would have been a little bit different if you know if he if she was present more than and if he wasn't. Yeah, I think uh, you hit the nail on the head there, uh, Aaron. I think you know having uh, you know having elected the first woman as a president would have been of an a step forward uh, for this country. And I think Hillary, uh, I mean, she would have been a great candidate. I think there was a lot of things that put her beyond the eight ball, but I mean, Trump has, you know, has had some stuff as well. So, um, you know, it's like, you know, I think looking back, I just, it's interesting to see, you know, that question of, you know, I mean, you can't change it now, obviously, but just to think about it and, and just trying to improve for the future, because obviously we as a nation, you know, try to learn from situations and right. and try not to repeat things <laughs> as best we can, because you got to live and learn. And I think we don't want to repeat uh, his last four years because it's just it, it seems like like you had said earlier, we're, it's almost like we're more divided. Uh, than we were after after you know the Obama administration. So yeah, it's 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 crazy to see and just having these conversations is important. I think you know it's not always the easiest conversation, but they are important to have. And you know, just any other advice that you would give you know anybody, whether it's you know a college student or even person um, that's dealt with you know, racism in the past, um, um, you know, what, what advice would you give? I mean, like I said, to, to the class of, of 2020, like I said, I know this is difficult. I know some people, I guess I know some students, they, you know, weren't able to have the opportunity of <laughs> having a job. And sometimes it, that's usually how the world works. Sometimes you don't necessarily get a job right out of school. You know, I was blessed to have a job, you know, to have a job after school, you know, after I graduated, um, but some people don't have that that opportunity. Um, like I said, continue to persist, continue to keep looking, um, continue to, you know, apply to those internships each and every week, um, and each, into those jobs each and every week. You never know. You know, there are some, there are, they are, there are companies that are allowing for students to have, you know, allowing employees to work from home now. You know, I work from home. I, I you know, my, my job is remote right now. Um, so there are jobs out there that will give you an opportunity. Um, you just have to keep digging and keep looking. Um, for those who have experienced police brutality or have experienced racism, um, you know, from you know my my standpoint, you know, for me, I've seen, you know, me personally, you know, I've been stopped by the cops um, a couple times. You know, sometimes it was for the right reasons. For sometimes it was for me speeding, and other times. It was for it was for reasons that really didn't make any sense. Um, I can go back to you know um, the summer of 2017 before I ended up at Stevenson. Um, I was driving to work. I was working at Walmart at the time, and um, this policeman um, he had stopped me before, and I was speeding. 
I was trying to get to work that day. I was a little running a little bit late and he gave me a ticket. He was gracious that time. It was very, very nice. Um, and then the second time we encountered, um, I encountered him it was a couple of weeks after. And for some reason, it was a little bit different that day. Um, he didn't, I didn't realize he was actually behind me um, or even around me um, when I had, you know, turned, to, I had made a turn. And for him, he felt like I had made an illegal turn. Um, I, I think it was a, a, it was a, so you stop at the, you know, you had to stop at the light and you can turn on, you can turn on red. And so you have to stop and then turn. And so for him, I didn't mm-hmm. make a complete stop and, and, and I guess it infuriated him. So he, he stopped me, he got out of his car and he immediately went on this rant and he was very hostile. And in my mind, I was wondering, why are you so angry? Just, I mean, I understand I, if I did something wrong, you know, for me, I don't, actively go and seek and talk back to people who may be of higher authority than me, you know? So I was trying to do my best to defuse the situation for him. He thought I was talking back and I wasn't. And I felt in that moment, I was like, uh, one or two things, you know, a couple of things could happen here. One, he could just let me go. You know, he can write me a citation, whatever. He can just let me go Two, I can get arrested or three. He could easily shoot me right now. If I make any set of movements or feel like, you know, I, I need to reach for something and he may try to he may try to take my life. So let me try to my best to make sure that I do exactly what he tells me to do. And so for people who have experienced police brutality, you know, and racism in this world, you know, it can be implied and sometimes it's not actually direct. It can be indirect. Some people may say things to you and it may not be it may not seem racist, but it is. Um, we have to understand, you know, like I said, for me, talking to these people um we have to be able to stand up for ourselves and be able to vocalize what's right and what's wrong if it feels that it comes off as racist or prejudice to you we must speak up and one thing for about me is i'm learning to try to speak up you know i will say that this is one of those times where i'm i'm trying to speak up and i'm trying to be i'm trying to stand up for what's right you know, I'm, I'm trying to speak on my views and what I and what I believe and what I think is right. Um, you know, so it's just about, you know, just speaking up and vocalizing and stand up for yourself. There are some people who feel voiceless and those people who are looting and and and, you know, rioting and protesting. These are this is their way of being heard. You know, this is their way of letting people know that they they want to be seen. They need to be heard. They need to be noticed the thing about it is we realize that there are so many people in this world who honestly have experienced uh, racial profiling and you know police brutality and have never said anything may have never said anything um and these people that you know have had to die for us to continue to look at police brutality you know is showing that you know we need to be heard we need to be we need something to happen we need somebody to move the needle in say that this is wrong, that we need to go back and say, look, how the police handle situations, it needs to change. You know, whether that be let do legislation, I mean I'm glad that the that the people in the Minneapolis, you know, Minnesota police department, they decide to fire those people. But I need to see, in my opinion, I don't want to see, you know, they've been charged with murder. That's great. I'm glad they've been charged. I need to see the you know, I need the jury to convict them. I need them to be guilty. Because we can't let this continue to go and have a, you know, a continuous pattern of, okay, 
they've been arrested, they've been charged with murder, but they've still got a slap on the wrist. Okay, I get it. They lost their job, but they killed an innocent person that didn't really do anything. They didn't do anything to make themselves feel like they were really in any danger. You have a gun. You have a taser. You know, you have a choice whether to use one of those two. And instead, you decide to use your gun as a way of protecting yourself when there's other ways to defuse the situation. And so for me, so for me you know, I want to see them, you know, be guilty. You know, especially the person that decided to keep his neck, keep his knee on Mr. Floyd's neck. You know, I need to see that he's been charged and convicted because for me, there should have been no reason for him to have been, for him to have had his knee on his neck for that long, for almost nine minutes. And for nobody to say anything, none of his counterparts, none of his colleagues to say, I think that's enough. Um, it shows how they feel about us. And I think it's starting to show that we are no longer going to take that, you know, that, that disrespect. And so for people who have felt that, you know, like I said, continue to speak up, continue to, you know, make yourself known. Um, I don't, you know, I don't want to say, you know, uh, you know, try to put harm or to anybody, but, you know, protesting, you know, peaceful protests, I think, are always, you know, a good way to, you know, show that you need to be heard. You know, I say that, you know, my opinion that the way that things moved in legislation for, you know, the, the you know, like I said, the Civil Rights Acts and the Fair Housing Acts, you know, they moved the needle because of, first of all, for one, um, you know, there were too many people dying for for them not to do anything for the Congress not to pass these bills. And of course, with Martin Luther King and at the head of the civil rights movement, as well as, you know, his counterparts, you know, who should not be forgotten in that, in that struggle, you know, him, you know, marching, you know, the marching, the, the protests, you know, the people that had to die, it eventually you had to do something about what was going on. You know, you think about now, like I, I'm, I wasn't even born in 1965. But what I, yeah, yeah, we, neither one of us were born in 1965, but I will say that what I see, you know, with the looting yeah, and the writing, <laughs> it made me think about Watts in 1965, you know, the Watts riots, riots and, and, you know, what was going on there, you know, people were angry, people were are mad, you know, at what's going on in the world, you have to understand that these people, you know, they're angry, they're mad, you have to change what's going on around you, you can't just continue to just feel like everything needs to stay the same. Um. Yeah, everybody everybody wants to be heard and I think that's that's imperative they just want to be heard I mean that's what uh, Colin Kaepernick initiated the kneeling protest he wanted to be heard and what did the NFL do they they I mean he was getting criticized I mean you heard the the you know everybody was on this side or the other side and whether you're protesting uh, peacefully or, or not, I think everybody wants to be heard. And especially with this issue, that's all it is. And, you know, uh, speak up, be heard, and uh, take action are, are three key things uh, with that. So, um, Aaron, I really appreciate you taking the time today uh, to talk about, you know, a variety of things and a variety of topics, especially, you know, your, your current role. I know. Um, it's great, but also the current situation going on right now, it's 
it's um, hopefully we see some positives uh, come out of it. It's, correct, it's definitely correct. a challenging I, time. I, I, but I do appreciate, I do appreciate you allowing me the opportunity to speak. Um, you know, it's great. It's actually my first <laughs> podcast. I'll say that. So I was, little, I was a little nervous. I was, I've been, a, I was a little nervous. I, was like, I don't even know what I'm going to say. I don't even know what we're going to talk about. But I was thankful for the opportunity. Um, of course, you know, like I said, I hope everybody. I hope you're staying safe and staying healthy. Um, and like I said, I, I do. Like I said, you you basically hit the nail. Um, you know, with the hammer. You know, I hope everything. You know, there's a there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Everything will work itself out. Um, I believe. Um, but like I said, it has to. Just things have to change, and so I do hope change comes. Um, and you know, things don't stay the same. But I I do hope you know that we we see some change coming. You know, coming. And I hope everybody's staying safe um, through this pandemic. I know it's not easy. You know, but I think, you know, I think this this time that we have, it's teaching us to, you know, cherish the things that we may not have been able to cherish before. You know, a lot of people, you know, this world, this world we live in, we're always on a constant go. So we never really have time to actually cherish, you know, the time that we have with our families, people who have kids, you know, people who have, you know, spouses <laughs> and friends exactly. and family. So I think this is the time for us to begin to just, you know, you know, re reset, reflect, and reevaluate what we are doing with our lives and how we're spending our time. Because, you know, as we've seen, you know, with this current virus that's going on, you know, our our lives can be taken away from us at any moment in time. And how we utilize our time, our every moment of our lives is crucial now more than ever. And I know for me, and I know for you as well, I'm pretty sure for you as well, you want to utilize every aspect, every moment of your life um, to be, to be useful. So, um, continue. I... Yeah, no <laughs> doubt. I'm pushing, I'm, uh, I'm 28. So I'm pushing, uh, almost, almost 30 soon. So yeah, I can, uh, I can definitely attest to that, but, uh, but yeah, man, I appreciate you taking the time today. Um, you know, any, I would love to continue this conversation if people if people want to reach out to you, yeah. And, so, um, you know, if, uh, you know, use I, you as a resource, really what's, what's the best put, way to, I, I always, uh, to know, do give that? Out, give, I always give out my numbers to people who may want to, you know, reach out to me. And I also give my LinkedIn, um, <laughs> you know, so you can find me on LinkedIn or um, you can also find me on Instagram um, as well. Um, I'm not as vocal. I'm not, you know, one thing I'm learning now is I need to be more vocal. Um, <laughs> and I realized, you know, sometimes being more vocal is more than just, you know, Instagram post or anything like that, but it's just still any way you can be, you can voice your opinion and voice, you know, let your voice be heard to do that. So follow me on Instagram as well um, at AC Baines underscore uh, AC. I'm sorry, AC underscore Baines. I'm on Instagram as well. Um, and of course, you know, I'm looking forward to connecting with people who want to connect with me. Um, and like I said, let's, let's continue to move forward and, you know, be better and make this world a better place. Yeah, for sure. I couldn't say any better. Yeah, uh, on to a, to a better future, and uh, let's keep moving the needle forward. Because as you mentioned, we we've definitely made progress. But as um, has you know, as recently, there are still still strong. All right, not made, a problem. God so, bless you guys. Uh, yeah, and I appreciate you, too, you taking the time. Right. And uh, until next time, Aaron. All right. God bless. Yeah, and uh, Aaron. 